T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And so 30 years and two emirs later, I'm pleased to announce that in 2022... We got this done. Lori Lightfoot. Oh, you could punch in a bunch of things that she could potentially be talking about there, but she is, in (laughs) fact, talking about the casino that will be built right here in the city of Chicago. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. And joining us to talk about just that, Mitch Armentrout from the Chicago Sun-Times. Is it Mitch or Mitchell? Uh, just Mitch is fine. You know, I, I go either way, but, uh, but yeah. All right. Tell me, get, Mitch, tell me this first. The reason he asked that, Mitch, is because we were trying to determine we're whether doing... he wanted to go by Gabe or Gabriel yeah. earlier in the show, so we're just <laughs> on that kick right now. We've been doing nicknames all day, if you want to let us know what yours is, Mitch. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I go by Mitch here, but, you know, right, when you're, you know, you sometimes you want to sound more professional. You've got your byline on there. That's when I go by Mitchell. Go but it's a matter of taste. All right, Mitch, when, when can I expect to be able to place a bet at Bally's like when when is this anticipated to be actually completed well it depends on exactly what you mean there because you know in terms of just placing a bet you know it could be early next year when they've got a temporary casino up and running Um, they say that their main you know the final structure is going to take about at least four years to build but um probably by sometime next spring or early summer, uh, assuming everything moves smoothly, which, you know, we're in Chicago and Illinois uh, government here. So that's a pretty big if Um, you can, you can plan on maybe heading to that temporary casino site. um, Yeah. in the next 12 months or so. So pretty quick turnaround. Now Mitch, there were some other heavy hitters in the mix here for this Chicago casino. What ended up winning it out for Bally's in the end over Hard Rock and Rust Street Gaming? Well, you know, it's, it's cliche, but I think money talks. Um, there, there were these three proposals for the casino side. Um, like you mentioned, um, Rivers Casino wanted to build one in the South Loop near Clark and uh, Roosevelt. Uh, there was another bid by Hard Rock across the street from Soldier Field. And then, of course, Bally's, which is the one that won out, is uh, over there in kind of the River West area at uh, Chicago Avenue and Halstead. Um, and, yeah, I think the thing that made them stand out from the other ones, you know, all these companies are basically offering more or less the same vision of, you know, a giant hotel, casino, and uh, theaters and all these grand visions and things. But um, when the city ran the numbers, by their accounting, they think that the uh, – the, the River West location is going to generate the most money. Uh, you know, over in that part of town, you're, you're kind of drawn from uh, Navy Pier. There's a lot of hotels and 
you know, it's a pretty big tourist center, even though it is a little bit uh, removed from downtown. Um, but the city thinks that they can pull in, you know, upwards of a billion dollars a year there. Um, and that means about 200 million a year for the city. Wow. I didn't know that was the number. That's incredible. Uh, joining us on the Circuit Resina Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, is Mitch Armentrout, reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Now, now, Mitch, I'm a gambler. I like to gamble. I like driving to Rivers. I like driving to the Horseshoe. And I almost, I don't know why, I don't know why I have this queasy feeling when I hear about a casino being built in the heart of, of Chicago. I understand the money aspect of it. I mean, I, that makes sense. But I'm I'm just surprised that they're going through with this. I think a lot of people are surprised because this is something that they've been talking about in the city and down in Springfield uh, for at least 30, 40 years. You know, it, it's come close before, um, you know, to you know, a lot of close calls with laws that would have introduced casinos. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's always kind of been and we saw this in the casino selection process. You know, a lot of neighbors who don't want to see. Uh, a casino breaking ground across the street from their high rise. You know, some people think that that's going to affect their, their property values and things, but uh, you know, there's always concerns about crime and gambling addiction, obviously. Uh, so, you, you know, it's very rare that any casino is kind of met with open arms, <laughs> but even less so when, when you're dealing with such a you know high density city like Chicago. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it still does feel kind of weird and we'll, we'll see, you know, how smooth the process is from here on out. You know, it looks like this is going to happen, but like we said, you never know what's, what's going to come up here in the next year or so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll definitely make, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a different feel for, for the city for sure. What's going to be unique about it? Is it mainly the size? I mean, it just sounds like the place is going to be a behemoth as far as the, the amount of jobs that'll be created there, the space it'll take up, but the amount of gaming that will be available. Is that the, the biggest thing that's going to be unique about it? Yeah. So actually, you know, Rivers Casino is a good example. Right now, Rivers um, has the most, they call them gaming positions of any casino in the state. There's right now there's 11 casinos up and running across the whole state with Rivers, as you know, is the, the closest one to the city. They've got about 2000 positions, you know, that includes slot machines and table games. The state law that created the Chicago casino, it makes it twice as big as any other casino in the state. And that's just because the state, you know, and the city, basically all these governments, you know, as long as are seeing dollar signs, um, because, you know, they're, they're counting on bringing in all these tourists and, and folks in, in such a large market. Um, so with 4,000 gaming positions, it's going to be the biggest in the state by far. You know, uh, it's bigger than, it will be bigger than um, just about any casino in Indiana. So just by sheer volume, it's going to be uh, different. But, you know, they're also promising some other amenities at this place. You know, there's going to be a big uh, 10-story hotel. They're talking about uh, a fitness center, a bunch of restaurants. Um, they're, they're planning on some sort of Chicago sports museum. Don't really have a lot of details on exactly what it's going to include. But, um, you know, that's another thing that they're throwing out there. Um, so. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, they're probably going to just grab the Italian Sports Museum. That's right there on Taylor Street and just kind <laughs> of go. push it on. Another yeah. It's looked impressive. I mean, when you see the mock-ups, I mean, mock-ups always look impressive. But you see the gondolas in the, in the river, <laughs> like taking people from, you know, one edge of the casino to the other. One thing that, one issue that I have, because I love taking Chicago Avenue to Michigan and, you know, seeing going Water Tower, whether I'm going, wherever I'm going downtown, I don't mind taking Michigan, or excuse me, Chicago. But it is bad. The traffic is bad right there. 
And I've read some stuff where they're like, oh, we're going to make traffic better in that area. Like, is that even possible? Because that is, that's been a, a, a cluster bottleneck area for quite some time. Uh, it's, a, it's a nightmare over there. And that's really a big concern for, for folks who live over there. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, last month, the city held a, a public meeting uh, just, you know, for residents to come out and hear from valleys and, you know, air some of their grievances, uh, which are more than a few. And, you know, there's probably about 300 people or so who came out to this meeting. And just that alone, that addition of uh, traffic, I mean, it was it was it took me almost an hour to get there. And I, you know, I'm, I live near Sox Park, so it's not exactly it shouldn't be a major hike. But but, yeah, I mean, just that intersection is such a nightmare as it is. Um, and, it's, you know, that's kind of the main concern of a lot of residents. Uh, there's one residents association over there who says, you know, more than 80 percent of folks who live, um, you know, in the immediate area of this casino site are opposed to it. You know, Bally says that they're going to chip in the money to put in some new traffic signals and underpasses and things. But, but yeah, it's hard to envision a scenario where, where, you know, it's any, I mean, it's already bad and it can only really get worse when you put in a massive tourist destination right there. So, Mitch, the the discussion around the, the Chicago getting a casino in the city, there's been obviously a lot of passion on each side of it. And I spent my first couple of years of my NFL career in Detroit where I don't know how many casinos. I mean, there was like Greek Town, Greek Town City. Yeah. I mean, there's just like MGM. There's several casinos in the city of Detroit. And I'm just wondering – the, the cases on each end of it where folks worry about, you know, crime and, and whether or not the casino affects that. But then obviously the pro uh, case for it is is additional tax revenue, additional jobs being created. How much of that e- either side of that discussion, how much of it from your studies on this is is reality versus just sort of inflated concern? It's, it's hard to say, really, because there really have been so many studies on, on the crime topic, at least. The problem is, you know, a lot of those studies are funded by one side or the other. Uh, you know, if if you look to some of the more established university studies on it, yeah, I mean, there is definitely a, an uptick in, you know, petty crime. You you see some folks loitering and stuff. I mean, casinos don't generally attract, you know, the uh, the most upright citizens in the world. <laughs> uh, not to speak too generally, but yeah, you know, when you talk about uh, oh man. <laughs> no no don't not passing any judgment there but uh but you, you know it's um it, some studies have shown that yeah in the, you know the five or six block radius around a casino crime is going to go up i mean also you got to figure that that's you know that's going to happen when there's not any crime happening at an intersection right now that you know it's mostly industrial there's not really any opportunities for crime to happen so it's hard to sort of balance what, how much that's actually going to happen. And, and, you know, the casino industry and Bally's has said this, they, they say that they're, they would actually improve that, you know, by, you know, obviously nothing is more surveilled than a casino. It, as we've all seen the movies and stuff. There's cameras everywhere. Every single movement is, uh, is logged and, and watched at every second. So, you know, in, in some respects, they say that they can, you know, help out with Chicago's massive carjacking issues just street robberies and things like that. Um, but I mean, there are also, like you mentioned, there are other issues. Folks are concerned about uh, gambling addiction. Um, you know, I've worked on some stories about how uh, gambling people, the number of people reaching out for, for help in, in terms of gambling addiction has is, is gone up by upwards of 50% in the last two years since wow. sports betting and such was introduced to the state. Um, so, 
we'll see exactly how that plays out in Chicago. Um, and it's definitely something that's on the mind of residents who live in that area. Um, but, you know, it, it's also just sort of something that you have to expect when, when you are bringing a casino into the neighborhood and it's something that the government is depending on so much. Serious concerns right there. Mitchell Armentrout, reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, joining us right here on 670 The Score. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. I know Major League Baseball is about to allow sponsors to have their logo on, on, on their sleeves. So I can see the Cubs maybe having a Bally's patch. You know, they're on the marquee network. They're all owned by the same people. Um, but let me ask you this, Mitchell, before we get you out of here. What's the possibility from a percentage standpoint that this won't happen? Like, like is there a scenario where the city of Chicago, the residents make enough noise and this thing just falls apart? You know, I, w- I wouldn't say it's a zero chance, um, but it, it looks pretty good for, for Lori Lightfoot right now. I mean, the things working against her are that, you know, two of the aldermen who live, who, whose wards are immediately adjacent to this casino site are incredibly, they're vehemently against the proposal. They don't want it to happen in their ward. Uh, they want it to be somewhere else. Um, but, you know, all she needs is 26 votes um, at the press conference. Yesterday, where she announced picking ballots for the casino, you know, there are at least four or five there. Uh, Aldermen showing support for this proposal. Um, and the thing to consider, too, is that, you know, there's very few aldermen who want to be known as the ones who voted against, you know, this, such a potential cash cow for the city. Mm. You know, the city's got massive financial issues when it comes to the pension funds. And, and this is, you know, the, the most immediate form of cash that they can get. So... There's definitely a lot of momentum working in this favor. I would say, you know, if you had to put a number on it, I mean, it's it's much better than 50-50. I got to say it's, you know, upwards of 90% that this is going to happen here in the next year or so. The question is how smooth the rod is going to be and, you know, our construction timeline is going to stay on track. You know, they say that this is going to, you know, the temporary site can open next year and that the full facility will be done in the next four years. Sounds a little optimistic, especially, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and God knows we have supply chain issues, so we'll see how smoothly that goes. But it certainly feels like it's going to happen. Mitchell Armentrout, reporter for the Chicago Sometimes. So generous of you to give us your time. We appreciate you for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Mitch. Oh, man. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to need, I'm going to have to buy a condo in that place. I mean, that's how I often think- I'm going to be there. The way it sounded, man, Chicago's gonna be flush with cash in a minute, right? I mean, you got the you know they legalized weed, so you're selling all the, the ganja, <laughs> and then you also got this. The sports betting has been legalized. You Bro. got casinos on the way. I mean, Chicago's the about devil, to be rich, right? The devil has his cloak over our city right now. <laughs> it's like, geez, what's going on? Hey, man, money better be rolling man, in. That's all I, I know. I love it. All I gotta say is that traffic's gonna be a nightmare. I don't know how they're gonna fix that thing. They, <laughs> I will say this: they did fix the Fullerton, Damon, and Elston kind of six corner thing that they had going on. I thought there was no way they're yeah. gonna fix that. They did that. So if they can fix that, I'm sure they can do something over. Miracles there. do happen. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. Right on the other side of this, we're going to talk a little bit of Bear, specifically our third-round pick, Valus Jones Jr. And does he feel like he can duplicate the success that Devin Hester had for the Chicago Bears? We'll talk about that right after this on 670 The Score. Two second-round picks, both guys in the secondary. Do you think there's an advantage in, A, those two guys starting their careers together, and, B, your defense is the first NFL defense they're going to learn? I do. I do think there's an advantage to that just because of the togetherness. You know, so they're starting, you know, at the at the floor and then working their way up. 
Um, and those guys will have that special bond with each other because they're going to learn it as they go. And they, they're certainly both smart guys. You know, they're very intelligent, and they're going to work together as they get through the defense. And that's going to be exciting to watch, those two guys. That was Chicago Bears head coach Matt Eberflus talking about ah, the new guys on their team. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. I can't wait to hear some more of these cuts from these guys. It's almost like, and are you are you this are you this way as well? After a draft, you just become obsessed. You want to know everything about them. You want to know their. Mm-hmm. I want a girlfriend's names. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> Are they flashy? Like do yeah, they, they, got- they were all out there trending anyway, like immediately. As soon as you see a draft pick, especially when you get the, the look inside the home and you know, you got the, the girlfriend <laughs> sitting next to the prospects and he gets drafted and then immediately so and so's girlfriend is trending on Twitter. So hopefully and then they break up. Clothes on. Yeah, man. <laughs> and then they break up. Feels inevitable. It's like an episode of the, the season of The Bachelor or something like that. Like you think you're the big winner, and then for whatever reason that, that image is just frozen in time from draft night, like, oh, she didn't make it. What That's was what, what was that? What was that time of the year like for you? Before we go into all this audio mm. from these guys, what was what was that like for you? Just you know, knowing you were eligible to be in the NFL, mm. heading into that time, what what was it like for you from a mental standpoint? It's stressful, man. It's really stressful. I was talking to you about it a little bit the other night, just kind of going through that process. And really, the thing is, it's just it's ongoing at the moment. You know, like like Justin Fields after this this last season ended. He referenced, like, just taking some time away for a brief moment to go unplug and get away and then come back and get to work. And him and Darnell Mooney, you know, met up in Florida and started throwing together. But when you think about going through your final season of college football, so for me it was my senior year at Iowa, and then I immediately went to play an all-star game. I went and played the the blue-gray game. And then you go to preparation for the NFL Combine if you get invited to the Combine. So I went from the blue-gray game – had them, you know, uh, enjoy the holidays real quick, and then went and started preparing for the combine. And then, you know, after the combine ends, you got pro days and individual workouts, and then draft weekend is upon you. And then, soon as draft weekend is over, then you go immediately into mini camp mode and organized team activities mode. And then, next thing you know, you get a couple of weeks off after all your OTAs and the off season programs over. A couple of quick weeks off. Now it's time to show up for training camp. And you go through your entire rookie season, and by the end of it, it's been like a year and a half of just nonstop body rock, man, where just the, the you know football is just so chief amongst your life goals, and it's been that way the entire time. But that year and a half stretch is all just you trying to make it, trying to achieve this lifelong goal that's been there throughout the entirety of your career. Like even back when, you know, when you're a little kid and you're playing the game and maybe even playing a variety of sports and activities, but then at some point you recognize what you want your professional exploits to truly be in. And so you really focus in on trying to be the best that you can at that particular sport. So for me, it was football for these guys who just got drafted by the Bears and who are, you know, in the midst of entering into their first NFL mini camps this weekend. They've, you know, this point, this point kind of culminates their first on-field activity in the NFL, but it's all been leading up to this. There's so much that's led up to it, but it's not anywhere near over yet until you get to January by the time you finally said from the start of your final season of college football all the way through the end of your rookie year in the NFL, there's truly been no real respite in there, even the time away, like you, you know, that couple of weeks you get before actually reporting for training camp between the end of OTAs and the start of training camp, 
you're still in prepare for training camp mode. So it's really after your rookie season is over, it's the first time you truly get to exhale over the course of about a year and a half wow. just trying to achieve this lifelong goal. That's incredible. Now, before we get to this audio from Kyler Gordon, I, I, I have a follow-up question, and it's about mm-hmm. the doubt. Describe the doubt to me. Is, does that even exist, or does the confidence that got you to that level supersede any doubt that, that might be there? I think going into it, the, the doubt would be really rare because anybody who's even been on, who even just gets on a roster, let alone gets, gets drafted or you know, especially guys who are high draft picks, high achievers to that extent, you, you've, you've achieved at a really high level. To get to the point where you, where you actually get signed by an NFL team. You're going to you, just the NFL camps themselves. You're like, this is, I'm pretty much here. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you, you've, been, you've been one of the best, if not the best player on most of the fields that you've been on throughout all your amateur exploits. So then stepping onto a field in the NFL, yeah, it can be daunting. But from a confidence perspective now, once you actually get on the field, and then, you know, you're thinking that, you know, <laughs> you think you're a high-level athlete and you get out there. Some of these guys just seem superhuman. It's a little bit different. It can shake your confidence once you're actually out there. But I'd say leading into it, because most guys have been such high achievers everywhere they've been up to that point, at least athletically, if not in, you know, almost every other aspect of their life as well, you know, a guy like – you know, like an unsigned, undrafted free agent like Jack Sanborn, who's a, a linebacker from Wisconsin, who was one of the top linebackers in college football last year and happened to go undrafted. And so he's he's over there at Hallis Hall. He's going to be, you know, showing his best out there, trying to, you know, get a get a full opportunity with the Bears, headed towards training camp and everything. But a guy like Jack Sanborn, who went undrafted, but was an outstanding college football player, Jack Sanborn has been a force everywhere else he's been on the football field up to this point. So there's no reason. Like, just because Jack Sanborn went undrafted, he's just confident. I'm sure he is certain that everybody around the National Football League made a mistake, just like I was certain that everybody, when I went undrafted, that everybody around the National Football League made a big mistake. You know I can play the game. You saw the film. You saw me out there sacking people and tackling people. It's Apple you didn't think I was worthy of a draft pick? Yeah. That's what a guy like Jack Sanborn's <laughs> thinking. So everybody's really confident when they go into it, then, of course, it's obviously about actually making plays and getting the gig done once you actually step out there. But I'd say there were I, – I distinctly remember a couple of different times once we actually got into – well, I'll say this. Once we got into some of the live work in, uh, in practice, I do remember a couple of teammates who, you know, didn't end up making the squad, who did – you know, who were more overmatched out there. I do remember a few moments where – they verbalized how overmatched they felt and you get into some preseason games and you you get a couple other guys who get their eyes wide open a couple of times there. So it definitely, it can happen more. I would say once you actually get onto the field competing at an even higher level, but I would say leading into that first time on the field, this whole process, I think everybody's super confident because they've been so successful before now. Some great insight from former NFLer, Anthony Heron. I'm Gabe Ramirez. This is 670, the score Now let's hear from our first second-round pick, Kyler Gordon. Here he is talking about not drawing flags in college. How did you hone that part of your game to not get penalized, and how do you feel that's going to help you not draw penalties in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, so practicing it definitely would help not draw it in the NFL, but really just consistent repetition through college and stuff like that. We had a – I know Jimmy Lake, me and him had some – some flag stuff that we went through, just teaching me. But yeah, really just the preparation at Washington and the, and the stuff I went through. I hear something like that, and, and I say to myself, 
this is exactly the kind of individual you want on your defense. Someone that's disciplined. I mean, because that's that's a, a metric you can look at immediately. Not necessarily to say whether he's disciplined or not, but it's a. I would say it's a good variable to look at, wouldn't you? It is, and you know, to have somebody who who's been who's been a high achiever, who's been coached well at at his previous stop as an amateur. I mean, you know, you're certainly going to have the opportunity, like we played the audio from Matt Eberflus there, where you get the first NFL crack at at guys, at rookie DBs who you drafted in the second round. You get the first opportunity to get your hands on them and teach them an NFL scheme, to teach them your NFL scheme. There's not going to be, you know, habits, whether bad habits or just different habits and different traits, different philosophies that are being brought from some other team that have maybe already made them a successful pro. You got all these rookies in here, and especially guys who, you know, got second-round picks who are coming in. They get drafted in the second round. They're here in the chatter everywhere, but these are guys who should be competing for and in a lot of ways expected to start right off the bat. So between Gordon and and Brisker, you know, they're they're going in knowing that, all right, I got to learn this scheme. I got to do this exactly how coach wants me to do it to perform at a high level. And so I think that even that Eberflus cut that we played earlier as well kind of relates to what we're hearing there because it's great that they were coached well at the collegiate level, but now you get the real first opportunity for them to to learn how to be pros and how to do things at the NFL level within your scheme. So there's not there's not a lot of changing you have to do from here because, you know, they should view themselves as almost kind of a, a clean slate to some extent. Have your uh, new Bears teammates reached out to you? Uh, yeah, they have. And they've all just been very welcoming on social media and just saying, like, let's ready, let's get ready to go. So I, I was thankful for that. Any chance of Jalen Johnson or Eddie Jackson? Yeah, J- Jalen hit me up. And we were just talking about getting to work. It's so funny that in 2022, when you want to hit up your new teammate, you just go to social media. Nah. <laughs> you follow him on I wonder if it's like dating. Because, you know, and I know you you got your wife. You know, you really, that wasn't your thing. You know, <laughs> hollering at people on social media. But, you know, what you do now is, you know, you follow someone and then you like a couple of their pictures. That's how you let somebody know you really like them on social media. Okay. So, I, right. so I'm wondering is if, like. kids out there doing it? That's all right. How, right. So, did, like, Justin Fields go to Vailas Jones and, you know, like a couple of his touchdown mm-hmm. dances or something right. like that? Like, right. how, did, yeah. how did you end up doing something like that? <laughs> I love the fact that they, I love that they're welcoming in these people. I mean, I understand that you have the pressure to do it in today's day and age with social media, but. I, I think it's it's good to see the Bears secondary embrace these guys because I could see where competition at some levels, despite the fact that uh, Ryan Poles feels as though it can help the team, sometimes people feel a certain type of way when another guy is breathing down their back, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, man. I mean, I got multiple examples of, of veterans <laughs> who were like, hey, man, you're out here, you're some undrafted rookie, and you're out here running with the twos after we got through a couple of mini camps. Hey, man, those are reps I'm supposed to be getting. It is a very, very different vibe once you get into the professional ranks because, and you know, I'm sure you've heard it before, Gabe, and folks out there have probably heard it talked about a little bit, but it's a different story when you're not on scholarship. anymore when you get into a locker room especially once you get to the point in camp where you start seeing lockers emptied when guys have gotten cut guys getting sent home but even you know without you know separate from any of that just teammate to teammate i mean yeah everyone should be respectful of each other and you want to build camaraderie and all those things but when it comes down to it you are fighting for jobs now, you know, DeAndre Houston Carson has been here in Chicago for a minute. He's a guy who has made a bunch of plays on special teams, who's worked his way up the ranks into being a real contributor as a part of the true defense in recent years as well. That, that was for the previous regime. You yeah. know, Ryan Poles didn't draft DHC. 
So as much love as Chicago Bears fans might have for DHC, as much time as you and I have spent on Bears postgame live talking about plays that he made, whether it was on special teams or last couple of seasons here, plays he's made on defense as well. Now, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily expect that DeAndre Houston Carson is going to go out there and, and be a jerk to anybody once he's actually out there on the <laughs> right. field and in the meeting room with the rookies. But when it comes down to it, he is competing for a job with Jaquan Brisker. You know, he's going to be competing in, in the least for playing time with Jaquan Brisker. And so, you know, that, that's just the reality of the situation that all these guys find themselves in. And that, that can be a transition. That can take some getting used to just to recognize that all the camaraderie that you want to have in that team setting, and it's great that the vets are, are you know, presenting things in a welcoming fashion. You will hope that continues. But, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that it's going to be that way across the board. We're all human beings. And we all, you know, sort of recognize at times the, the mortality of our, of our careers and, and whether or not something is on the line. We all got families to support and everything else. So, you know, some of that is definitely going to feel different to a number of guys here versus what they experienced in college. LaShawn McCoy said it best. He said, hey, man, if you're not a, being a mentor, then you're a bad teammate. Just came out and said that, and I totally understand it. But I can see where in year one of a new regime, that doesn't particularly exist because there is that l- level of competition at every position. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is 670 The Score. Now, Ant and I had the opportunity to talk to Anthony Poindexter, safeties coach at Penn State, and he made it very clear that we got a gamer in Jaquan Brisker. Definitely lucky to have him. But who are the safeties that Jaquan actually admires? Do you have any old school safeties that you admire? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, Sean Taylor, um, Ronnie Lott. Um, you know, players like that, um, Ed Reed, Troy Palmolo, people like that. Can I give a, a round of applause for that answer? I don't think I could have wrote that Good up names. any better. Good names right there. Guys who play the game at a high level, play the game with intensity and physicality and playmaking. You know, it's not only about like some of the guys, yeah, like Sean Taylor, it's going to knock your head off and everything. But Troy Palomalu had some some freelance to him, that playmaking ability, the willingness to to throw his body around and, and put it on the line Sunday in and Sunday out. So if you're emulating you know, some of the all-time greats, that's certainly the, the position you want to put yourself in where you're trying to be like them, where you're trying to emulate them. And think about hearing from Peanut Tillman, like the rookies got to the other night, and having that guy, former Bears great, to, to be what you know, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker who they can aspire to be one of the great Bears DBs like Peanut was, they got to hear from him as the rookie minicamp was opening up there. So, I mean, it's a, I think it was well, you know, I, I'm wondering if Peanut was already going to be the vet that they planned on bringing in to address the team or did that materialize even after the draft, just knowing that our top two picks are going to be rookie DBs who we need to come in and be able to count on. You know, either way, uh, it's it's great that Peanut was the guy to be able to address them because you you certainly – want to be able to emulate all those other all-time great safeties from a variety of other teams, just from a defensive back's perspective and how you play the game, how you compete, how you make plays. You know, Peanut's certainly going to be a guy that Gordon and Brisker can really look up to. All the pictures of Peanut Tillman at that minicamp talking to the Bears rookies looked like he was headed to a club in 2005. Ah. <laughs> he had the button up. I got Jay-Z right. vibes. All that. Right. But, but, but Peanut, if you're listening – Shoot me your barber's number. Your fade was on point. The little taper ah, that he had on the side. Nice I really type. liked it. Uh, but when it comes to Jaquan Brisker, the, the one name that I felt like he was missing was Mike Brown. Now, if he had said that, then mm-hmm. I really would have had hard eye emojis mm-hmm. for him. Someone described him and his style of play as, as a PhD type of player. 
um, poor, hungry, and desperate. He had an opportunity to actually address those remarks. Um, to be honest, I really didn't really pay attention to any of it. Uh, I probably heard about it a little later. You know, I was still enjoying my time with my family and things like that. But, you know, the Bears organization, you know, did a great job, uh, um, you know, communicating with me and things like that. So, you know, um, I really don't let things like that get to me, you know, because I already been through a whole lot. So, you know, you know, people say a lot of things, you know, but, you know, that's not really, you know, who I am. You know, um, you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, I'm actually, you know, a great per- person, you know, a great football player, you know, um, and I also graduated from um, college, you know, at Penn State. So, um, you know, I, you know, I overcame a lot of things, but you know, I don't let little things like that get to me. So, were you, were you offended by that description? No, sir. I, I it really just brushed it off my shoulders, and really, I heard about it like super late. But you know, I was, I'm good, I'm fine. You know, it's time to play football. Yeah, and I think that because of the fact that Jaquan Brisker has been through so much you know this wouldn't be the first time he's probably had to respond to something that that could have a negative connotation to it in in a description of him and you know he's shown himself throughout his time at Penn State and you know very short time here representing the Chicago Bears to be a really really mature guy and recognizing you know just that he he's been through things in his past that can sort of set himself up and then he represents himself his family at a really high level and you know frankly I don't yeah, I, I don't. I certainly don't get the impression. I mean, you know, Chris Prescott was one of the scouts who was passionate about bringing Jaquan Brisker in, so he wasn't even trying to, you know, sort of put a a negative connotation or context on who Jaquan Brisker is as a person. But certainly, in, in using those words, you know, the PhD, the poor, hungry, and desperate, and Prescott ends up losing his job. You know, my guess is because you know GMs come in and they're going to reshape the the scouting department in their image, bring in some of their folks, and you know. Uh, remove a, a little bit of, of the past personnel from the pre- previous regime. Anyway, my guess would be that Chris Prescott, maybe he wasn't going to make the cut anyway as far as being with Ryan Poles. But, you know, certainly does add a little bit to the storyline where he ends up losing his job after those comments are made and, and some of the, the negative uh, reaction that there was to it. But I think it was just it was very poor choice of words to describe what he was trying to, you know, trying to describe in just that Jaquan Brisker plays the game with a passion, that football is very important to him. And it's one of those things that, you know, there are some things that that can sound very unflattering that might get said, might get described in rooms behind closed doors that are certainly not the polite way to describe things in public. And, you know, for guys who don't speak in public a lot, then you you had someone who ends up making one of those mistakes and and folks, you know, understandably had a a negative reaction to it. But Jaquan Brisker had a really mature reaction to that because it's not something that really needs to – you know, be dragged along with him as he's trying to, you know, get his Bears career started up. There were some synonyms he could have pulled out of his pocket that would have been better than that. But either way, I love the fact that Brisker addressed the room uh, when he was addressing the gentleman that asked the question. He said, sir, I love that he reminded people that he graduated from college. But I love the man, I brushed that off my shoulders comment even more. I love the let's play football. I'm ready to play football. Like, hey, man, we're not even worried about that. I'm not here for the drama. I'm here to take care of business. I was with my family. Like, I loved everything that he said after that. For me, it was the perfect answer. Poised from a rookie, and I just absolutely loved it. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron. This is 670 The Score. Those were our opinions on Gordon and Brisker. But what did Bears GM Ryan Poles think about the draft, some of his guys, and, and maybe potentially moving some pieces on this roster. Well, he joined Mully and Hall this morning, and we are going to play that interview for you right after this. It's 670 The Score. Ryan Poles joined Mully and Hall this morning on 670 The Score. 
Take a listen. How do you respond to people who see you taking two defensive backs in the second round, guys who you could project potentially as day one starters, as we have referred to them, and they say, okay, that's great, but, boy, you look at your offense, you've got a young quarterback, and you didn't do enough to surround him with either weapons or an offensive line to protect him. Yeah, I mentioned this in the press conference after the draft. I would have done harm to this team if I just went with need and I didn't put the best players available uh, on this team. And I'm excited about Kyler and Jaquan um, right off the bat there. Those are guys that we had really good grades on and we stuck with the board. So, you know, we're going to get this team better and this roster better, but we have to do it the right way. And that's taking the, what's best available, and we keep moving. And as I mentioned before, we're gonna we're gonna keep firing away. We got some really good offensive players as well in the draft. Um, you know, great talent comes from all. I mean, there's great guys and Hall of Famers that were undrafted. You know, there's right. star players in the league that went mid rounds. So uh, I'm excited about all these guys. I, I think what anyone can take away is that we're gonna continue to add good football players, and that's gonna improve our football team. And Ryan, you know, I don't know if you saw, there was a story in The Athletic that um, apparently they went through the depth charts of submitted from all the beat writers, and they have 10 projected offensive line starters. That's not counting Larry Borum, but 10, only 10 out of 160 players on offensive lines around the league that were actually drafted in rounds five through seven. And so we were talking about that because you obviously picked up four guys in that area and it, you know, yep. it's a little different with you because maybe there's yep. an opening because maybe you're changing kind of the style, uh, the, the way that you're looking for players. And um, yep. and also, obviously, you got a pretty good sense of what an offensive lineman is. So how how do you balance that that recognition of those numbers with the guys you take? Yeah, you know, for how we brought these players in and, and where they came from and their backgrounds, you know, we're looking for specific traits and, and makeup. Um, are some going to take a little bit longer than others? Yes. Um, but the main goal here was just to continue to increase the competition up front. And we feel like these guys that we, that we brought in do that. And we're just going to slowly get better every single year, every season, and we'll, we'll get this thing improved. So uh, we're heading in the right direction. At this stage of the offseason, Ryan, when you look around, I just wonder, are you done yet? There are free agent wide receivers out there. There are offensive tackles out there. And I am curious that after things fell apart with Larry Ogunjobi, has that door closed entirely with him? Yeah, we're we're never done. Um, I mentioned this before. Like Our front office is going to be relentless with adding talent. Um, So it doesn't matter the time of year, where it comes from. We're always going to be searching to to get better. Uh, if that's via trade, if that's um, through the draft, free agency, post draft, cut down, um, we're going to keep firing away and just add good players to this roster. So I'm not going to rule anything out. When you look at your offensive line, we've talked a lot about the the right guard position, and I know Sam Mustafer was lined up there. They, you know, these are placeholder type things. Is there a possibility that Lucas Patrick could end up? playing the right guard position if you don't like what you have, or do you feel comfortable that you'll be able to uh, keep him at the center position? Yeah, I really like him at center, but that's, that's where coaching and personnel kind of come together. You know, I think we're in the same philosophy that we're going to put the best five out there. So if that means the best five means he's at right guard, then, then that's what it will be. Um, I, would, I would love him to stay at center, but at the same time, you know, it's not about one individual. It's about the whole group. So 
the best five are going to be rolled out there when it's time to time to go uh, during the season, and we'll roll that way. No matter what you call it, Ryan, I think you, you look at what you're doing and you're starting over in, in, in many respects. And I, and I think you're creating and establishing a culture. And last night, I thought it was interesting that you had Charles Tillman address the rookies. And obviously, he can speak to the Bears tradition and you want to introduce your culture. How would you describe what that is? You want, what message you want to send these young players as they arrive at Hallis Hall for the first time? The big message is compete. It's compete. Um, to help us achieve our goal, and that's to be a championship-level organization. Uh, the cool thing with with uh, Pina coming in and, and talking to our group is he shared that message in terms of, one, how special Chicago is, two, the history of this organization and what it takes to, to be excellent. And our guys that were here, the rookies, they ate it up. Um, so I, I love the fact that that was kind of the starting point. That was how they came out of the gates was to get a message from a player like Peanut Tillman. You know, Ryan, I think when it comes to Justin Fields, everything is about the quarterback. Some people are fixated on that. Others are just focused on his development is such an important part of what happens next year and in the years to come. I would not yep. say that as an observation, you've been effusive in your praise necessarily. I think you've been very honest in your evaluation <laughs> and pretty positive in your projections, but how would you describe the level of belief that you have or the organization has in Justin Fields and his development as a franchise quarterback? Yeah, uh, my level of belief is, is sky high. Um, and the one thing that you can tell, the way this guy's moving around the building right now is he is locked on, he is focused, and he wants to be great. He's a first in, last out type guy. Not even type guy, he is that guy. And he's pulling this team together. Um, and you can tell the fact he has on other people. I mean, all these guys, are, are they're showing up, they're going to work, <clears throat> they're doing extra with him. He's locked in with Luke. Uh, it's, it's really cool to see. His presence is showing up, and he's starting to take over. And obviously we've got to get to camp, and we've got to get to preseason games, and there's a long journey here. And there will be some ups and downs, especially with a new system that he's got to get through. And I know he's cleaning up some techniques. Uh, so it's not all not going to be perfect, but it's coming, and my belief is sky high with him. Ryan, as we look at the, the the job that you've done, you know, there's a lot of taking care of the salary cap. When we look at the roster, are you done with the idea of maybe uh, turning some of the the older players into assets? Is that still a possibility? You know, I don't want to single anyone out, but Robert Quinn was a guy that supposedly – had drawn phone calls before the draft, obviously had a great year last year. Does he fit with the profile of what you're looking for from an age standpoint? Yeah, well, the one thing you get with, with Robert is, you know, when you watch that tape, is he, he embodies everything that Coach Ibrifus wants in terms of rushing the pass with the effort, the motor, tenacity. Um, so right now he's, he's a part of the plans. I'm excited about Robert. Um, you know, in terms of moves and all of that, you know, this this league's crazy. You know, I can't rule anything out and give absolutes, but I want him on the team. And, um, you know, we'll see how everything happens as we move forward, but I'm excited about him. Ryan, you look at Roquan Smith. I wonder if you could share with us, do you know yet what his best spot is in that defense where the weak side linebacker can be such an impactful player or is he more comfortable in the middle? And then when you look at long-term, how would you describe the tenor of – uh, negotiations or at least conversations about making him a bear 
for a very long time. I don't think we've had enough practices to really figure out the Mike, the Will, um, and, and I'm really going to lean on on Matt and his crew with that and putting him in the best position to succeed. In terms of the contracts, you know, I really don't want to get into contracts. I know that we're really excited about Roquan. He's a difference maker on this team. I'm pumped about him, uh, especially in this defense. Um, so we'll just take that one step at a time. And, you know, if something happens, it happens. But right now we're just evaluating, and, and he's working his butt off too. So we're excited about him. That was Bears GM Ryan Poles talking with Mully and Hoff. You missed the beginning of the interview. Do yourself a favor. Check out the entire thing online right now. I'm Gabe Ramirez. He's Anthony Heron right here on 670 The Score. And in just a few minutes, Sean Hyken from Bleacher Report will join the show and tell us who he thinks is the clear-cut favorite to lift the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of the NBA season. Sean Hyken joins us both next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.